0: Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, presented by Tequila Embajador. What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. We are a week away from the start of the NFL draft, almost to the minute, Damon Cotton, maybe to the minute. Is it 5 o'clock yet, 5 o'clock on the dot? That's what time the draft starts next week. I can't wait. I love the NFL draft, and I go back when I think about NFL drafts, when it used to be early in the morning in the Pacific time zone, I would, it was the one day that my mom and dad were cool with me taking off school. I would literally take off school on uh, draft days. My dad would call me up. Who the Giants pick? Who did the, you know, because he was a big New York Giants football fan. Uh, and, and it would just be, it was a great day. It was like a holiday, to be honest with you. And I know Paul Gutierrez from ESPN can appreciate that. I don't know if Paul snuck away from school like I did, but I'm kind of imagining that maybe he did. Paul Gutierrez from ESPN is kind enough to join us today in the huddle. Paul, when you go back to your formative years growing up, whether it was middle school and we called it junior high back then, uh, high school whatever the case might be did you sneak away on the remember when the draft was on like a wednesday or on a thursday morning you know early in in, in our time zone did you uh, not go to school on those days like me
1: <laughs> I, I no i i went to school oh. I don't
2: <laughs> but
1: i remember it being on saturday and sunday so I don't know if you were maybe maybe you had detention and you were supposed to go before no, the Club no. on Saturday that you were skipping out on. <laughs> no, I think I wanna I I
0: wanna say that it's it might have actually started like on a Friday morning or maybe a Thursday morning. Okay. So uh but this was this All was right. in the early eighties, I would say. Um yeah. so uh so those were were good times. It just shows you how big the draft has become because it certainly yeah. wasn't in uh, prime time, that's for sure. It was during the day, uh, back in the day. So uh, it's definitely come a long uh, way. But Paul, uh, before we get to the draft, and I know you've got some thoughts uh, on that from the Raiders' perspective and the NFL's perspective. A sad day, obviously, for Raider Nation, uh, but also a day to remember and to honor. Uh, Daryl LaMonica passed away today uh, in Fresno, California, his hometown of Fresno, California at the age of 80. Natural causes. But as I go through reading your article and, and what I was able to put together for the Las Vegas Review-Journal, uh, it's pretty amazing um, You know how great of an athlete he was coming up through the ranks, but also when you talk about it from a Raiders perspective, he was kind of at the forefront of pushing this whole thing to a whole other level. Al Davis saw the talent as a backup quarterback with the Buffalo Bills, his, his ability to throw the ball long, felt like he needed that component with the Raiders, went out and traded for him, and kind of the rest is history, right?
1: Yeah, and it's interesting when you, when you think of Daryl LaMonica. I mean, the first thing that, I, that pops into my head is I mean, he's a guy that literally could have stood up there at the lectern and pounded the lectern and, and pounded his chest and say, hey, what about me? But he never did that. And you look at the numbers, you look at the stats, and they compare favorably to the game in like the late 80s, the early 90s. Not not today, obviously, with the, the passing it's become, but he did usher in that vertical passing game that, that Al Davis loved. And and before him was was Tom Flores who was throwing the deep ball, but there was just something more about La Monica's arm, and it wasn't just the ability to do it, but it was the willingness to do it, and that's what really um, Al Davis loved. That's what the Raiders loved at that time. Um, you know, like you said earlier, I, I wasn't around to see <laughs> to see any of that in his heyday in the late '60s. Um, I, I kind of I, I came of age when Ken Stabler was was running the show for the Raiders and then Jim Plunkett and going from there. But that's the thing I'll, I'll think about LaMonica, that he's kind of a forgotten man until you kind of peel back that first layer. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, look at this rich history of the Mad Bomber, of Daryl LaMonica, everything that he was able to accomplish for the Raiders. And, and you'll have a lot of fans go, oh, well, he never won the Super Bowl, what kind of a winner was No, but you know what he did do? He won his league title. Yes, that's exactly. all they really do at that time. They won the AFL title in 1967, went to the Super Bowl. Uh, that year against the Packers, who were unbeatable in those games back then. So um, nothing but respect, nothing but condolences to the family. Um, my interactions with him were few and far between, not like they are with other Raiders of the past, but nothing but respect for everything the man accomplished on the field and, and off the field. I mean, he was still, you know, pre-COVID, he was still coming to training camp and being part of Alumni Day and things like that, and he was very active.
0: Well, and it's interesting when you mention uh, the class act that he was, uh, one of the... Uh Twitter remembrances today came from Kenny Sabler's family. And why that's unique to me is, if we're being honest, Kenny Sabler took Daryl LaMonica's job um, back in, I think it was 1974. They went with a more accurate thrower compared to the long ball guy uh, in in, in Daryl LaMonica. So he took his job, but it sure seems like they remained close and the families remained close. And that kind of tells you what he was as a person, let alone
1: just a football player. Well, also the way the the organization uh, was run then, and, and what Mark Davis is trying to do now, the, the alumni, as, as Mark Davis always says, is the team's greatest strength. Right, so they were a family, and, and if you look at it at his um, at his career, I mean, yeah, Ken Stabler took his job, so to speak, but he was also at the end of the at the end of his career. He went and tried to play one year in the the World American Football League. I forget the exact title of it for the Southern California Sun, and absolutely done. so. It takes, how you know, how how hard is it for a professional athlete at the top of their game to realize, you know what, this is it. This is done. And it reminds me a lot, actually, who you were talking about earlier with Tom Siever. He knew he was done. And, and it kind of comes back there. And, and, and when I was covering the Raiders, when Carson Palmer came to the Raiders, and he was also born in Fresno, I had a couple conversations with Carson back at the time that, you know, he came in with that mad bomber uh, mentality, at least for Hugh Jackson, <laughs> that one year that they were together and then he stuck around for another year, wore number three, just like LaMonica. There was a, a certain kismet between the two of them as well um, that I thought was, was interesting and unique. And when you go down the list of all-time great Raider quarterbacks, yeah, Derek Carr holds all the records, basically, you could imagine. Um, but there's just something about those guys in the 60s and the 70s and the early 80s uh, when the game was just so much different and when the stats didn't mean as much, and like the quote I found from that 1967 uh, Sports Illustrated article, he said, yeah, fans don't care about stats. They just want to know if you won or lost. Yeah, there's no doubt
0: about it. We're talking to Paul Gutierrez. What was also interesting in the research um, you know, that all of us uh, did uh, today you know, upon hearing the news of the passing of, of, of uh, Daryl LaMonica is the role that Howard, uh, Howard Cosell played in the Mad Bomber uh, nickname. And it was so funny to me because – uh, as Daryl Lavonica told uh, this story, in a story that I that I read, he didn't like the nickname at first. He's like, "That's that's that's yeah. ridiculous. That's a terrible nickname." But then, um, very soon after, he's lining up. Against the team, and he's seeing the cornerback out of the out of the corner of his eye, and they make eye contact. he and the cornerback. and the cornerback, probably knowing that's the mad bomber right there, takes a few <laughs> steps back, a few steps back, repositions himself, um trying to brace for the possibility of a long ball. And Daryl LaMonica said, "Wait a minute." I could kind of use this to my advantage. I, I, I like that nickname now. Let everyone think that I'm going to throw it long because it's going to change how defenses defend uh, the Raiders. So it was kind of interesting the role that Howard Cosell uh, played uh, in that And well. But even if defenses tried to do it, tried to stop it, the Raiders still and Daryl LaMonica still kept attacking. And you mentioned it didn't matter where they were on the field. The willingness to do it set, right. kind of set him apart, right?
1: No doubt. And then also having a couple of great weapons like Warren Wells and, uh, oh, yeah, a Hall of Famer and Fred Bolitnikov, <laughs> that's going to help too. But it's to me, you know, you got the ability, but it's the willingness to use it, to, to go ahead and do it. And that's what what Al Davis wanted to create in, with those teams. And for those AFL days, I mean, high flying, high scoring, high passing, uh, it, it didn't get any better than that for, for those days. And, again, I wasn't alive or around for that, but in talking to, to the old-timers, the OGs of, of the Raiders family, so to speak, whether it's Tom Flores himself or, or Mark, who was a young teenager watching those teams. Um, it, it's something that you kind of look back and you, all you can really do is, is tip your cap. And like I said, it is a sad day to, for the Raiders and the Raider fan base to lose uh, somebody like him. But at the same time, it, it really is kind of the epitome of a celebration because it makes you sit back and realize everything that he really did accomplish. And like I said at the start, at the start of this Yep. Uh, just came across as a true gentleman. Without a doubt. And we're talking
0: to Paul Gutierrez, who covers the Raiders and many other things uh, for ESPN, our good friend uh, and and, and colleague. And Paul, bringing it back to present tense, uh, the Raiders are a week away from at least starting the draft. We don't know if they're going to pick on day one. As of right now, they won't. Uh, But Dave Ziegler yesterday, uh, the general manager, Kind of uh not that he hinted that something might be uh, cooking but he did make it a point to say as of now as of now fans are going to have to wait yeah. till the 86th pick uh, in the draft before their turn comes around what do you make of the as of now and do you think that or would you be surprised if the Raiders made a move up not necessarily to the first round that's pretty ambitious but maybe into that second round or somewhere maybe even higher in the third round uh, to to secure a player they feel can
1: have an impact Day one. Well, that's that's the, the key. If they think there's somebody there that's going to be a plug and play guy, then yeah, you make that move. You, you kind of mortgage your future to go do that, right? Or you've got to give up a, uh, a very prized piece that's already been helping you. So it, it's, you know, you know this. He, the, the, the draft in and of itself, it's a crapshoot. So do they sit there and wait? And, and like, <laughs> this reminds me of, of Reggie McKenzie's first draft back in 2012. Uh, you sit there and wait till the end of the third round with the comp pick and take Tony Bergstrom, or do you try to find somebody that can actually come in and help? Now that 2012 Raiders team that was in rebuild, that was in, actually it wasn't even rebuild; they were still tearing the thing down. This is a team that just won 10 games, went to the Super Bowl, the Super Bowl went to the playoffs, to the tournament for the Super Bowl, and has ambitions to go to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I, it wouldn't shock me as much if they tried to move up, but at what cost? And you know. You see Twitter, you see social media, you see a lot of rumors flying out there that somebody like a potentially a Darren Waller would be on the market. I I, I would not do that. But that's the kind of move you're going to have to make if you want to get into the first round anyway. But again, at what cost? All right, let's let's play the what-if game. Uh, Or
0: would you or would you not uh, game. Um, I thought you brought up a good point. Where the Raiders are right now, they could look at themselves and be thinking, you know, we're kind of a player away maybe from really taking that next step. You know, they, they went out and got Devontae Adams. They went out and got Chandler Jones. Uh, they, 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 they have all the skill players that they need. Their defense is on the come, uh, and, and that pairing between Max Crosby and, and Chandler Jones uh, could help pay big dividends behind them. So they probably feel like in a lot of areas they're set. But there's a glaring need to me still, I don't know about you, but to me along the offensive line. And maybe one player could change that, uh, bringing in one key player. So let's just say this. Here's the scenario. Would you give up your first-round pick next year to move maybe up to the top of the first round if one of those offensive linemen that they have their eye on that they feel could be an immediate guy and immediate help? Would you trade next year's first-round pick to move up to the second round, maybe high into the second round? If I hadn't
1: already signed, uh, uh, our guy, no, can't even think of names right now. Uh, Brandon, he right. signed Brandon Parker already. I mean that that makes it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it's all monopoly money anyway, right? But the fact that they gave Brandon Parker a, a new contract tells me hmm, they see something there that maybe they can fix there or they can make better. Put it that way. Um, but yeah, I mean, if if that's the mentality, if you think you can go get somebody that's a plug and play guy, that's going to be a difference maker at your biggest position of need going in the draft, then absolutely go do it. Um, because you're going all in and yet the rest of the division did the same thing too. So it's, it's, you know, is it six in one hand and half a dozen in the other? I don't know, but, but that's, what's so intriguing about this draft to me is they're going all in and yet so did everybody else. So, and yet the Raiders have the biggest questions everywhere because this is a, a new regime. This is a new offense. This is a new defense. It's, everything is new, um, at least with the other teams in the division. They've got the continuity with the coaching staff going forward, so it's still too early to kind of tell. Um, the other thing I think is interesting about this is, yeah, those offensive line and, and you know a, a, a decent cornerback, those are the biggest needs to me, maybe even a, a run-stopping type of a linebacker. And you might be able to find somebody like that at 86 uh, if you just stand pat because they're set at their skill positions, and those are the guys that go high and early in the first and second round. So if they stand pat and maybe go up just a little bit, they might still be able to get that guy. And in fact, Gabe Jackson was a third-rounder, immediate starter from day one until uh, he was traded last year. But that's the kind of guy I think they could get, and that's what they need uh, in this draft.
0: Paul, it was uh, interesting to me yesterday. uh, Somebody was asking uh, uh, Dave Ziegler, the Raiders general manager, if he was alarmed at uh, the recent rise of players kind of – Pushing their teams, players that are under contract, kind of pushing their teams uh, into a position of having to trade them. And as that question was being asked in my head, I was like, "Well, geez, that's how they got Devonte Adams." So I'm curious yeah. to see how Dave Ziegler is going to answer this question. Uh, you know, and and he definitely kind of couched it in a in, in a way that no, I'm not really uh, alarmed. That's kind of how we got Devonte Adams uh, in, in the building. But I'm going to put that question to you. We see, we saw it with Devonte Adams. Um, the Packers weren't in any <laughs> motivated to, to trade him. He, he, asked them to, he pretty much forced them uh, way to to the Raiders, uh, which is all good. I'm, I'm all four players having that kind of power. But what do you think about that when you see a, a, a Debo Samuel uh, from the San Francisco 49ers say, trade me? And some, some other players that are starting to flex their muscles a little bit and say, and flex their power a little bit and say, hey, I want to dictate my future. What's your thoughts on that?
1: It's interesting, Vinny. The older we get, the more conservative we get, right? At least with our money. Yes. I think we get more liberal with our, with our mental thinking anyways. Yes. And, you know, the, the, young, the young guy in me, the, the youngster, the, the rebel rouser, loves it, loves everything about it. The older, more conservative, hey, man, you got a contract. Honor your contract. He's kind of like, wait a minute. You have a contract. Honor your contract. And yet the flip side is, no, players, are, they're the ones out there putting their lives on the line, literally putting their lives on the line at this game. And they should be able to do things like that. But there should also be, um, you know, some honor. If you sign a contract, you sign a contract. And, and maybe I'm just speaking because I have to deal with signing contracts myself, you know. Um, but I'm all for the player getting as much as he possibly can. And I'm always going to be for that. So I see both sides of it. And I'm always going to lean a little bit more towards the player because, you know, I'm going to say that I'm still young at heart.
0: <laughs> well, and and likewise, uh, but has
1: Debo Samuel earned this distinction? That's right? interesting. Yeah, with him because and I saw this tweet and I can't even remember who did it, but it, it put it perfectly. It's like Debo doesn't want to be Debo anymore, but he wants to be paid like Debo. He <laughs> That's wants to, great. You know, <laughs> you know, I mean, he he wants to be paid like a a frontline wide receiver, but he's not. He's not a frontline wide receiver. He's a front line jack of all trades, but he doesn't want to be the jack of all trades. So. What are you doing? And, you know, to tell, you know, our own guy at ESPN, Jeff Darlington, that he wants a trade but doesn't want to go into specific as to why not, and then goes on Twitter himself and says the reporters are making stories up. Well, you know, the truth is usually somewhere in between. I don't know what the play is there. Um, But again, go for it. You know, be a rabble rouser. Do it. Uh, you know, fly those flags of discontent until you're 30 years old, I
0: guess. Yep, um, and uh, I'm I'm wondering where the play is on his part. But like you said, and you said it so distinctly, he doesn't want to be Debo Samuel, but he wants to get paid as Debo Samuel. So some of that doesn't make uh, much sense. You could follow Paul uh, at P ESPN. Last question for you, Paul. Uh, as we sit here today, seven days out uh, from the beginning of the of the draft, uh, do the Raiders stand pat? I picked number 86, and if you were making the call, what direction are you going with that first pick uh, in
1: that third round? Uh, I would stand pat at 86, and I would do exactly what Josh McDaniels told us in uh, Palm Beach. Just draft the best player available on my board and just go from there. Um, you know, they, They've made adjustments. They, they've addressed several positions through free agency. Um, they, you know, they're, good. they're ready to go. Uh, they do need some help on the offensive line. They, they do need some help in the secondary um you know and then keep this in mind too and and i think a lot of fans are forgetting this is that come june 1st they're going to get 20 more million in cap space yep doesn't mean they're going to have cash but they're going to have cap space so if a couple of those veterans that are still out there you know i think his nickname is bunny uh hadrick um you know go get somebody like that too um and, and and figure it out but you know to answer your question i Today, right here, right now, I'm standing pat and just taking the best player available. And if it happens to be an offensive lineman at that point, more power to him.
0: I am in full agreement, Paul Gutierrez. Uh, Thank you so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. I'm sure I'll see you next week uh, at the draft. Take care, my friend. Safe travels. And we will talk to you down the road. All right, man. I'm going to skip school this week and watch the draft. There you go. And I urge all the kids out there to make that same requests of their parents it's a national holiday although you don't have to anymore because this comes on at five o'clock so uh all good you're in the huddle with vinnie bonson you're brought to you by uh tequila and Bajador. raider nation radio nine twenty a.m on a thursday live from the finley cadillac performance studio we'll catch you on the other side Interact with the show, text Vinny at 69187, or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. What's good? What's good, Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio, nine twenty a.m. on a Thursday, live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. You're in the huddle, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadar. And right about now, we're going to go to a new segment. Does the call stand, or does it get overturned? Demond Cotton. That's take right, it away. Vinny.
3: And I am going to ask Vinny a couple of questions, and we're going to see: Does the call stand? And also, Vinny, this first one, you were just talking about this with Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. Debo Samuel. Will Debo Samuel be traded before the next season starts? It's not will
0: he get traded.
3: It's Debo Samuel will get
0: traded. Will absolutely get traded. Does the call stand or is it overturned? I'm going to overturn it. I don't think the 49ers are going to trade Debo Samuel uh, this offseason. I don't care how much. Here's the thing. With a guy like Debo Samuel, what he has to be aware of, um, I don't know where he is on the last year of his. Whether this is the last year of his contract, what the situation is. But when you start talking about holding out before you get to that second big contract, when you're talking about holding out, you're talking about getting fined. Which under the new collective bargaining agreement, uh, there's no recourse on that. Like back in the day, teams can say, "Yeah, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. You sign your new contract. The fines go away." that doesn't happen anymore you still have to you have to pay back the fines number 1 number 2 when you're talking about accrued seasons in order to get closer to free agency. If you start holding out of games and sitting out seasons, those are seasons that you can't get back when you're talking about accruing the type of season the, the amount of seasons that you need to become a free agent. He has no leverage is what I'm saying. Is he going to if he wants to sit out, the 49ers are just going to say, "All right, sit out. You're only damaging yourself and stunting your own path to free agency. You're closing off your, your own path to free agency, so I don't think that the 49ers are going to budge. Why would they? So call overturn. He is not getting traded this offseason.
3: All right. I, I agree with you 100% on that one. Next one. The Raiders have had the best offseason. The best offseason in the NFL? I'm going to say call stands. Yeah.
0: The call stands. Um, when you look at Like I said yesterday, we were talking, uh, I forget who exactly we were talking to, but there is no way, none, zero, as much as I knew Devontae Adams wanted to be with the Raiders, there was no way that I actually believed that the Raiders were going to figure out a way to trade for him because it required the Packers obliging, but the Packers did oblige, and Devontae Adams is now on the Raiders turning a very good offense with Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs and Hunter Renfro and Brian Edwards and Foster Moreau and Derek Carr into a spectacular offense. And then on the flip side, Damon Cotton, Chandler Jones, who had Chandler Jones going to the Raiders to start free agency? We're talking about the most uh, uh, productive pass rusher in terms of sacks and damage done in the NFL since he came into the league and he's showing no signs of letting up Chandler Jones now playing opposite Max Crosby, the fear that that's going to put in quarterbacks minds and the help that it's going to provide for your linebackers and your secondary. It's just unbelievable that they're able to go out and get a player of that caliber. So just, Based on those two moves, let alone the other moves that they've made, that they've made trading for Rocky Yassin and, and, and everything else that they've done, when I look at what the Raiders have done this offseason, by far, they've done the best job of any team in the NFL, and that includes the Denver Broncos trading for Russell Wilson. You add what they've added to the Raiders, and all of a sudden you're talking about a team that you can legitimately talk about in the breath, same breath as the Super Bowl.
3: Hold on, real quick. So I gotta ask you, who is your number two then? If you think that the Raiders have run away with it, or if you're just not giving it any thought at all?
0: Unfortunately, well, I, I would say one uh, A and or two A and two B would be the, the the Los Angeles Chargers and the Denver Broncos. The Chargers bringing in the help that they got, um, you know, in the secondary, um, being able to retain Mike Williams, a great wide receiver. Obviously, the Denver Broncos going to get Russell Wilson. So um, unfortunately for the Raiders. The other two teams that I think have helped themselves tremendously this offseason reside in their own uh, division.
3: All right, moving on to the NFL draft that you used to skip school for. Yes. That is coming up next week. Malik Willis will be the first QB taken in the draft. Does the call stand?
0: Overturned. The call on the field is overturned. Um, Do I think that he should be the first quarterback drafted? Yeah, I actually think so because I I truly believe that he has the most upside in this draft. And in a quarterback draft that's not all that strong, I'd rather go for the upside. Take the big swing, and if it works out, great. If it doesn't, you move on as quickly as you can. I do believe that Malik Willis should be the first quarterback drafted and has the most upside to back it up. But I think it's going to be Kenny Pritchard. Kenny, uh, Kenny, pick, he pick it Kenny Pickett? Kenny
3: Pickett. No way. Kenny Pickett
0: from, from Pitt is going to be the first quarterback drafted. Okay, so I'm
3: I'm not trying to put you on the hot seat too mm-hmm. much, but who do you think would select Kenny Carolina Pickett? Carolina
0: Panthers. I think Kenny Pickett's gonna to go to the Carolina Panthers. I think he's gonna be and I think that he has um potentially a nice future as well. What I like about Kenny Pritchard is Kenny Pickett, I kept saying Kenny Pritchard, he's the uh, NBA general manager. What I like about Kenny Pickett is uh, and, I, I, and I think that NFL teams will value this a lot of experience, a ton of experience. I like quarterbacks. I know the NFL likes quarterbacks coming out of college to the NFL that have played a lot of football. We've seen guys like Mitchell Trubisky who started what twelve games, did did well, played well in the twelve games that he played for the University of North Carolina. Uh, but it's just not enough. The quarterback situation, the quarterback position, is so volatile, so You need so much experience and being able to see situations, play in situations, see different defenses, what defenses are doing to adjust to you, all of that, calling the offense, calling the games at the line of scrimmage. You can't get that kind of experience in a short period of time uh, with with 12 games. I think Kenny Pickett has played a lot of football, and I think that's going to entice a team like the Carolina Panthers to pull the trigger and make him the first quarterback draft. I'm not saying that he's the best quarterback in this draft or will be, When it's all said and done, but I think he's going to be the first quarterback drafted.
3: All right, moving on. The Brooklyn Nets will come back from 0-2 to beat the Celtics. Does the call stand?
0: Overturned. The Brooklyn Nets are, I think, I'm not going to say toast. They are going back to Brooklyn. They can win two games to tie it up and and put a lot of pressure on. Wait a minute. I'm going to go back into the booth. I'm gonna go back into the booth to review this call a little bit more. (laughs) After further review, Devon Cotton. Okay, let us hear it. The call stands. I think we're gonna see. It's not necessarily history being made, but it's very rare that a team comes back from 0-2. But I think the Brooklyn Nets. When I look at the Brooklyn Nets, I'm very surprised that they're even in this position, Devon Cotton. A team with Kyrie Irving, a team with uh, Kevin Durant. And by the way, they're getting their guy back, right? Not back, but...
3: They've never had him.
0: They've never had him, so they... He hasn't
3: played a game all season, Mr. Ben Simmons. (laughs) Might as well be a ghost out there. And he's supposed to play, right? No. Uh, They say, oh, later in the series, but it's not going to matter if they get swept, but I don't think they will. But I don't think you can expect anybody in any sport... Or anything. Yeah, anything from from him. But in any sport, could you imagine, like, hey, playoffs, hasn't played all year, but he's about to come in and be especially on defense because maybe like on offense you could say ah man you just pot him up in the corner and he'll knock down a couple of threes you think that anyone just straight off of the couch I know he's been working out a little bit but straight off the couch and now let's go play some lockdown defense
0: uh probably not um but he's so good and has so many skills and they're not gonna ask him to do a lot but there's you gotta figure there's a way that he's gonna be able to he's too good not to help them um and they're gonna need all the help that they can get I'll tell you that right now being down oh two. Well, when I look, more than anything, I look at I look at the two teams as currently constructed. Forget Ben Simmons; uh, that's probably a thought for another day. But when you look at the you know the Brooklyn Nets and you look at the Boston Celtics, who's the better team, top to bottom?
3: The Boston Celtics. Yeah. What? Really? Yes, top to bottom, the the Nets have the best two players. I think that that should well not even the best two players because I'd take Jason Tatum over Kyrie. Wow i like I like your thinking.
0: i if I was if I had a team, I would rather have Jason Tatum than Kyrie Irving too. There's no doubt about it. But there's something about Kevin Durant and Kyrie as much sometimes the, some of the issues that I have. I love the the I, you know there's a lot of the um just how unique of a person he is, some of his thought process. Uh, some of the things that he says, I'm all for it. You know, as a reporter, it's all good. Uh, the controversy, the drama, you know, the the pizzazz that he brings. Um, and he is a spectacular player. And I do agree um, with Tracy McGrady that when you're talking about sheer skill set, he's one of the most skilled players that we've ever seen. He's just a magician with the ball, a magician in how he's able to dribble and maneuver and navigate around the court. His ability to score with ease. He's just a great player. its I don't know if he's the guy that's going to lead you to a championship, but with Kevin Durant, man, there's just so much talent. I'm shocked that they're down 0-2. Um, they've played close enough. The games have been close, though, right?
3: Uh, they've been close. The first game was close. Game two, not so much. Right. So Both on the road. Both on the road. They haven't been home yet. But when you look, we said top to bottom a little earlier there, and you've got... Tatum, the Defensive Player of the Year, Marcus Smart. Jalen Brown, where I just think that— Good
0: young coach, too.
3: Oh, Emil Doku. Yes, he's been doing a fantastic job with that team. Peyton Pritchard coming off the bench. I mean, Robert Williams is still injured, but he may come back. Al Horford, excuse me.
0: Love Al Horford. Al
3: Horford, you know, they've got a lot of good pieces on this team that I think that maybe they can come back, the Brooklyn Nets can come back and win a game or two. But Boston is really clicking at the right time. They're clicking at the right time, and they're the best defensive team in the league since the All Star break. And I All think right. that means something.
0: All right. I'm gonna. Here's how I'm gonna couch it. Damon Cotton's New York. You're up in the. You're up in the NFL offices in New York. You're the. You're. We're. Con, we're talking. I'm the game referee. You're the eye in the sky in New York. You're telling me no. We're. We're talking. The call stands. Or no, it's overturned. I should say. The, no, the Brooklyn Nets are not coming back from an 0-2 deficit to, to win this series. So, just in that short time in the uh, as, as we talked it out, nah, no, no, no. This is the Boston. I can't even bring myself to say it though. As somebody that grew up hating the Boston Celtics, very hateable. But team. they'll get they'll get there. Not this one though. Not this the, the organization. They're a they're a hateable organization for everything that they uh, have stood for over the years and what they've meant and the torment that they've caused uh, to Laker fans. They're gonna win this series. So Kevin Durant out in the first round. What is how how monumental of a, of a of a loss is that for Kevin Durant? Since they're putting that on LeBron James and you know all not
3: the t- at all because I feel like other players don't get judged as harshly as LeBron does. If anything, if they get if they get bounced in the first round, Steve Nash, buddy, it was a fun experiment. But go uh, go be co- go be a color analyst for a soccer game after this. If he gets bounced in the first round, I think he's getting the boot. He's the scapegoat of why this didn't work out.
0: Yeah, um, perhaps. But I think that the organization has to also look at themselves. They were the one the organization went out and got Brent uh, Vogel
3: won a title and still got fired two years after Steve Nash. You're losing the playoffs two years. You don't even make it to the Eastern Conference Finals two years in a row?
0: Yeah, but I mean he hasn't had his horses though either. He hasn't had the players.
3: Somebody's gotta take the fall. What are they gonna do? Trade Kyrie? You can't.
0: No, no, no. So, I think I think what they're gonna bank on probably is um having Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant be your starting point for next year.
3: Yeah, that's a, that's all good and dandy, but I think they're going to have those three pieces just without Steve Nash next season if they go on to lose this series in an embarrassing he fashion. He might just say,
0: I'm done with this anyway. Who needs it? I'm gonna go uh, go back up to Canada or Arizona. I know he has a place in Los Angeles too, and just live the best life that Steve. Who, who wants all that drama? Like I so, said,
3: go call a soccer game. That's what he was doing before. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, he runs the. He, I think he he owns a soccer team, or was part of an ownership group of a soccer team. By the way, if you want to see some funny stuff, go call up his. You ever see some of the comedy that he did when he was with the Phoenix Suns? Oh my God! I got
3: MVP awards isn't funny to me.
0: Hey, Steve Nash was a hell of a basketball player, man. That dude dominated in his own way. Dominated. Do- they should have gone to the finals. They got screwed, the Phoenix Suns, against the Sac- against the San Antonio Spurs. I'm not saying that, you know, it's, it's, it's nebulous sometimes with the MVP, but for a little while there, he was as good as it gets at his position, and... Uh, I loved watching him play. He was a thorn in the Lakers side, though. I'll say that right now. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a, on a Thursday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Having a little fun here uh, from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio in the huddle. Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila and Bajador Show and uh, Devon Cotton. Some comedy uh I, I wouldn't even call them skits because that would be live, but uh, it was produced comedy that um, um, Steve Nash did back in the day when he was with the uh, Phoenix Suns. He was very creative. That was a fun team when you start looking at Amari Stottlemyre. Uh, what was it? Brooke Lopez? Was it Brooke Lopez?
3: No, it's oh, definitely Robin.
0: Yeah, it was Robin Lopez. Um, they had Blake Griffin's brother was on that team and uh, uh, just a bunch of funny dudes and great players. Those those were some really good teams. But there's a lot of time that you pass uh, in professional sports, especially in the NBA. A lot of time on airplanes, a lot of time in locker rooms, and just downtime. And Steve uh, um, or Steve Nash put together some comedy routines that back in the day were hilarious. I know it's kind of been fell through the cracks as time has gone on, but when you go back and look at it uh, retroactively, pretty good stuff. And we were talking about some of the funnier – You know, every team, every classroom, every job, they always have the funny guy, the guy that's going to try to keep it light. Uh, When I was covering the the Clippers, that was Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin was, I know he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. I don't know why, but talking to him and getting to know him and and sitting there and chewing the you know what uh, before games, that dude was a belly laugh waiting to happen. I remember I had bought a Kia, a Kia Forte. Right. And I came in and I was talking to somebody and uh mentioning the Kia Forte that I just buy. And I hear this voice and he's and it was talking about how much miles you're going to get. It was like a commercial. I look over. It's Blake Griffin. And he was a spokesman for Kia. And it was he had the whole thing. Great family car and, and just did a whole routine right there. And I was just cracking up. But um great player. And I always felt like. Not that he had one foot in and one foot out of his basketball career, but you can always tell that Blake Griffin was an extremely well-rounded human being. And he had so many different interests, including a comedy career, which he still to this day is uh, is pursuing. If you go to um, the website Funny or Die, I think it's Laugh or Die or Funny or Die. What is it? What? Funny it's die. funny or die. Yeah, funny or die. And just just Google or go to YouTube and say funny or die, Blake Griffin. You'll see some amazingly funny stuff that he did. Uh, we are going out to the Realty One Group listener line, and our good friend... ABA Ivan Davis. ABA Ivan Davis is on the line. How you doing, brother?
2: Hey, how's it going, man? Working on a life-changing program, which you guys will eventually find out later. I sent it to DeMond in an email. Okay, but great. I'm looking forward to it, condolences- to- man. All right, uh, I'm. Uh, I want to give condolences to uh, the mad bomber. That kind of shook me when I saw it. You know the the guy who set the foundation for the bomb in Al Davis's uh, offense. Okay, and so uh, I mean, you know, a lot of what happens with the Raiders' long game is is because of him, and that maybe even in the NFL because Davis Al Davis was the one that set the match the bomb with the speed, which is still being duplicated today. And they used to call Al Davis crazy. I remember that. But the one thing you cannot teach, he always said it was speed. And now you see everybody going for it. So I just laugh every time I see it in the National Football League. But, uh, Everything anyway, has to
0: start somewhere, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Everything has to start somewhere. He is definitely a foundation piece. Him along with uh, Tom Flores. No question. Okay, uh, what I consider foundational pieces to the success of the Raider the every generation of Raiders players after that. Oh, this guy, among others, you know, every a lot of a lot of their success that they're experiencing now. And so uh, that's pretty much all I had to say. I'm gonna be in Vegas. Uh, the ABA is gonna be in Vegas uh, in July, man. I'd love to meet you, man. Come see a show and meet you.
0: All right, man, come say hello. Uh, We'll be over at the, uh, depending on when you're in town uh, on Friday nights from 4 to 6, we are over at the Treasure Island Hotel, the Golden Circle Sportsbook. That's where we'll be tomorrow. Uh, So if you're in town, come on by ABA, Ivan Davis, uh, always enjoy. uh, I absolutely
2: will. I come in on Thursday night, so I'll be there from Thursday to Saturday for a meeting. So Friday, I'm for, for the show coming. I'm bringing some of the ABA owners
0: too. All right. Sounds good, man. Uh looking forward to it. Safe travels uh here to Las Vegas. Um I it's it's still kind of I'm kind of pinching myself, uh, to be honest with you, uh, that the draft is literally a week away. It's one of the best events in sports. Um, I can remember I go back a long way when it comes to the NFL draft and it literally did start. It might have been a Friday morning, maybe it was a Thursday morning, I don't know, but it was it was Uh, in California time, it was early in the morning. I think it it might have started at uh, 9 o'clock in the morning, maybe even a little bit earlier, probably 9, and it would have been noon uh, East Coast time. But it was in the middle of the day. And that was when the first round lasted five hours because – Everybody had 20 minutes or so, 15 minutes, 20 minutes uh, to make their pick. And uh, so it just dragged on and on and on. But eventually what had happened was ESPN came in and said, you know, we can make this a TV event. I know a lot of people laughed at ESPN and the powers that be that why would anyone want to sit around watching football teams draft their players? Well, there's also all the scuttlebutt, all the talk, uh, all the analysis, uh, and now it's just become a cottage industry of mock drafts. uh, whether you're talking about the scouting combine, the senior bowl, uh, pro days are now televised. Uh, It's nonstop speculation. It's nonstop analysis. You've got breakdowns. Remember John Gruden uh, had his quarterback deal that he had, uh, which is hilarious and great and informative. Um, So people are making money off it. It's nonstop. It's constant. And it all leads into this draft. And by the time the draft comes around, whether you have – been watching ESPN or the NFL Network to to uh, you know get on top of it, or if you go online to read about it. And there's all sorts of sites now uh, that that have their draft analysis. The Athletic. Um, you know, Sporting News, CBS Sports, uh, Pro Football Focus, everybody has their draft database that you can go tap into to look at, you know, prospects and go to video and, and do your own r- research. It's just an amazing event that all culminates over next weekend. And I think, Damon, what it really taps into is hope. People buy into hope. People buy into possibilities. That's why the first-round pick is so alluring, even though statistically it proves over and over and over again that it's a f- crapshoot more than anything in the first round. You're not going to hit on uh, all your players. But generally speaking, um, at, at, if you have seven picks, you're going to hit on a couple of those. And uh, But for those first couple of days of the draft, As a fan, you're just dreaming for all the possibilities that everybody that you pick is going to be a Hall of Famer. Everyone's going to have an instant impact, and it's just selling hope, and people love that.
3: Oh, that's all it is, is that hope. Because there was a picture that that was put out a few days ago, and it was Ray Lewis and Jonathan Ogden both at the, the Hall of Fame. And that 96 draft for the Ravens where they got both of those guys in the first round. And that's what teams are Tremendous. hoping for. That's what people are thinking when it's just like, "Oh, we have multiple first round picks or when all the picks in their draft, but they are looking for that, hey, two picks in the first round, they both turn out to be Hall of Famers and that is a very rare case oh, that everyone is hoping for in the draft."
0: Yeah, I mean to 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 you know, think along the lines of Hall of Famers, that's that's like crazy talk, especially to hit both of them uh, in the first round like the Ravens did. But you know, you're thinking about somebody that's gonna your first every first round pick is gonna step in and con- contribute immediately, and you know, be somebody that's gonna help you win games. And it's so funny or so interesting to me that there's so many levels of that hope. You've got the teams at the top of the draft that are trying to make gradual, pros- you know, uh, um, you know, progress. So those those teams aren't expecting anyone to come in and and, and win a Super Bowl right off the bat. Give them hope that they're on the right track. Come in and play and say, "Hey, look like load Joe Burrow a couple of years ago. Joe Burrow, almost from the day from day one, you can kind of see what he was injecting into the Cincinnati Bengals and the possibilities. That is the best type of a situation for a team drafting that high that has no Super Bowl aspirations. And yet two years in, he's gone to a Super Bowl which is crazy. So it's selling hope. It's selling excitement. And wherever you are on the spectrum, I think the Raiders and Raider Nation, they're looking at that third-round pick. Can somebody come in and help solidify a certain position in order to take this to the next level? And the next level for the Raiders is knocking on the door for the Super Bowl. I want to say thanks to Tyler Dunn um, for joining us and really shedding some great light on on his article on Derek Carr and using Derek Carr's college experience and college career as sort of a predictor of what can happen in the NFL. I want to say thanks to Paul Gutierrez sharing his thoughts on Daryl LaMonica uh, and and the draft. Thanks to Devon Cotton. Thank you to our callers. We'll be back at it tomorrow live from the Treasure Island Hotel, uh, the Golden Circle Sportsbook from 4 to 6 p.m. See you then.